Hi, and welcome to Beyond Madness from me, Christopher Paul Sarber. As a psychiatrist, I host conversations about issues emanating from psychiatry that impact society, as well as discuss societal issues that have potential implications for mental health and emotional well-being. My guests include thought leaders from both within the discipline of psychiatry and beyond. Beyond Madness is brought to you in proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave. Inspiring communities, one pharmacy at a time. I think that as a parent, one of the more difficult and challenging scenarios would be to discover that your child is being bullied or is a bully. Of course, the stereotypical image of a brute harassing your child remains, but in reality, the phenomenon of bullying extends beyond childhood and certainly beyond the playground. For today's episode, simply entitled Bullying, I'm joined by Dr. Sandra Fernandez and Marion Schur. Now, Sandra is not a stranger to this podcast. She's been a guest before. Sandra is a neuropsychiatrist working at Tara Hospital and affiliated to the Department of Psychiatry at the University of the Witwatersrand here in Johannesburg, where she holds the position of head of the Division of Neuropsychiatry. Sandra has her own story to tell, which we'll get into later. Suffice it to say that I have to credit Sandra with motivating me for this topic because I can remember you approaching me saying, you've got to do an episode on bullying. So here we are. Marion is an award-winning journalist and author. She's one of South Africa's top freelance journalists, media consultants, and trainers. Having worked in all three forms of media, radio, television, and print, including online, Marion consults and trains for many of South Africa's leading corporates and government departments, as well as media houses. Successful communication is her passion, and I like this. She says, no passion, no point. I think that's uh, well put. Her last book, published by Bookstorm in 2021, was Surfacing, People Coping with Depression and Mental Illness. And if we had a drum roll, we'd be introducing her new book that's due to come out shortly, and I'm sure she's going to tell us all about that because it relates very much to the topic that we're discussing today. So, Sandra and Marion, welcome. So, Marion, the new book, before we get into the substance of our conversation, tell us about the new book, the title, when it's coming out, what it's all thanks, about. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, and thanks for having me today. The new book is going to be called Big Bully, An uh -huh. Epidemic of Unkindness, right. and it's also published by Brainstorm and should be out the end of April at, as they say, all good books, all good Bookstores. Yes. So I think that the title itself already begs a couple of questions. Um, this issue of big bully. I mean, if we look at bullying as a phenomenon, there are obviously specific components that comprise bullying. And I think it's, it's very important. Um, I was discussing this with, with, with Sandra before the recording in terms of words find their way into the language and are used very frequently and sometimes maybe not with the intent of the actual meaning. So I'm always concerned that where words are all over the place, we start to lose the significance of the meaning. And so that is why it's very important for me to, to, to start off just contextualizing what is bullying and to be very clear what it is so that we don't inadvertently diminish the phenomenon because we use the term so loosely. I'm not sure. I mean, that's my impression. Actually, I mean, I can, I, I can take it back to psychiatry directly. I'm depressed. I don't know what that means anymore. Does it mean you're clinically depressed? Does it mean you've had a bad day? You've had a disappointment? Because we use the term very loosely and very frequently. And so as a clinician, 
I'm always very specific. What do we mean when we say what we say? So, Marion, you've written the book, and I'm going to come to some of the issues that uh, arise in my mind just from the title. But how would you understand bullying? How would you define it? It's a bit of a difficult one, Chris, as you've just pointed out, because, you know, a kid, for instance, can come home from school and say to its parents, well, I've been bullied. Yes. But, you know, the parent always wants to – of course, you get defensive, but at the same time – what was the bullying? Was it really bullying? Yes. But in the book, I've had to obviously listen to a lot of people, but I've taken various age groups. So from teens up, uh, the book is being sponsored very kindly by Lundbeck. Right. And they, their specification that I had to start from teens up right. legally. And teens, of course, were very, very interesting because I think one of the main things, and I've even got a separate section on it, is social media. That really has changed what bullying is over the years, not just with teens, of course, obviously right across the spectrum. Absolutely. Another part of the book was um, emotional bullying in relationships, partnerships. Mm-hmm. That was quite harrowing. And then workplace bullying, which is yes. – I could have done a whole book on that. Yes. And then social media bullying. So going back to what is bullying, yes. it's almost an impossible question to answer because how it's perceived to the person being bullied right, as against the – person who is the bully. But that's quite interesting, especially with teenagers. They will say, boys, for instance, that come on to another kid and are bullying that child. They'll say, oh, no, we we weren't bullying. We were just playing around. We were just joking. And in their mind, I think they believe that. But, of course, to the child being called names or whether they've got some kind of physical difference to that child, which is being pointed out, Mm. or a religious, cultural thing, That's bullying. And and those words, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones. But, I mean, I think those words, not just impactful at the time, but literally have changed people's lives. Well, I think that expression says words will never hurt me. Whereas, in fact, I think you're saying something a little bit different in terms of what words can do. And I think this speaks to something that Sandra and I were also speaking about because I was raising the question of where does teasing end and bullying begin? Because if I go back to my school days – Teasing was a reality of the peer interaction. We all teased each other. We understood where a person's vulnerabilities were, and we would all have great delight in pushing that button, seeing them squirm, have a good laugh, and then we'd move on. And they would do the same to us because I think it was the cut and thrust of peer interaction. And I'm not sure that anybody really thought of it as bullying or offensive. It was just a more rough and tumble kind of era where you engaged quite vigorously and that's how it was. It's not to say there wasn't bullying because there was. And certainly I experienced amongst the boys that kind of physical bullying because I think in, 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 in many people's minds, the sort of stereotypical bullying is still that playground lout who pushes the scrawny person with glasses, I wear glasses, around and um, delights in it. And I think that that's where when we get into the definition of bullying, I'm thinking about the power differential and the victim and the perpetrator. So there are always two people. Sometimes there's more in that sense. And also the the intent, which is to, to harm, actually, and to undermine and to denigrate. So I think there need to be specific components and, and, and also the fact that it's repeated. It's never usually just one single event where you push somebody around and that's the end of it. So I think there are various elements that comprise bullying. And obviously, you've alluded to cyber. Um, 
the different forms that bullying takes nowadays. So, I mean, if I'm thinking of what bullying is, I think these components need to be part and parcel of that. Sandra, jump mm. in. I mean, I agree very much with Marion, but at the same time, I think we've become much more aware, society as a whole, of the consequences that happen as a result of ongoing pervasive patterns of trying to yes. humiliate, um, socially isolate um, others to, you know, use emotional type of um, bullying. Yes. Um, and it does boil down to what you raise, that there has to be sort of a differential power between two parties. Mm. And that power difference could be on the basis of various things, such as maybe your height, Yes. Your education, yes. your gender, your race, uh, your socioeconomic status. Socioeconomic status, with the fact that you wear glasses, you don't wear glasses. <laughs> All these kinds of issues can actually um, have a significant impact on people's lives. And in particularly, I think the issue is that bullying per se um, can definitely have quite severe long-term effects. No question. Yeah, I mean, especially I think if you've been at in, you know, the receiving, receiving end, yes. and uh, we just have to bear in mind that because our society has also evolved, and we're much more aware of the Bill of Rights and Constitution, yes, and what that involves, yes, that bullying, if it is the classical bullying where there's a pervasive pattern yes. resulting in in various forms or types of of isolation or maybe physical or verbal yes. kind of abuse, etc., that that certainly infringes on the rights of the individual. Certainly in terms of respect and dignity. Mm. Marion, I'm just coming back to the title of your book. The first two words are big bully. So when you speak about big bully, there I'm getting the sense of size, potentially physical size, but I think maybe it's more than that. So maybe you just want to elaborate because we've spoken about this power differential, but I think that uh, you used the words in the title. So what what was your meaning in, in, in that sense? Well, it's very interesting because the person that's designed the cover has designed my last two book covers and they always ask you for a general sort of feel of yeah. what you want. And it's a very brilliant woman. And I used the words big bully. And in my head, she came up with something and I hadn't drawn anything or shown her anything. The cover actually um, has this image, metaphorical almost image of this big shadow right. and this little person. Uh-huh. But it isn't, doesn't have to be by any means a very big person. And as you mm. mentioned, there's mm. playground scenario right. where there's always that one big bully. And sometimes they are big, especially with boys. <laughs> exactly. But you said something very interesting. You said when you were at school, how, you know, it was brushed over easily. But I think what people don't realize, and Sandra just alluded to it, that it can have lasting, lifelong consequences. So what you will say to someone, you know, that they've got point out some physical thing or that they're not clever, you know, you're not as clever as the rest of us, whatever, how that can change the impact and change someone's life. You know, the truth of the matter is we might have brushed over it, but I think your point is well taken because I'm not sure that there were not permanent scars as a consequence. And I can remember particular instances where certain individuals were relentlessly teased and mocked for certain physical characteristics or just for being whoever they were. And I think at the time you kind of go with the flow because it's your peer group, but there's a side of you that's thinking, I wonder how that person is feeling at the end of the day. But you move on, school ends, and so then 
you don't see the consequences necessarily as they move through late adolescence into early adulthood and they take their place in society. So I do think that there is potentially uh, an underestimation from those times of what the impact potentially could have been. Look, there are those who are more robust who can brush it off and they'll give it straight back to you. And actually, it's those individuals for whom it stops there and then because they give it straight back. They highlight something about you that is potentially sensitive and you're like, mm, hold on a sec. I think I'll just uh, leave that one alone. So I think there's something in that in terms of how one responds to the bully. But I think your point is that one can't know for sure from those times that it was all just simply brushed off. And when I think back, as I said, to, to and specifically at high school, actually, because that's where things got really very specific. And um, I, I often wonder how certain individuals have actually turned out in their, in their adult life. But I think that I wanted to move to the sort of forms that bullying can take. I mean, there's the kind of in-person, and we've been referring to that, where it's one against the other. Um, so that is more direct, which can be physical or verbal. And then there's the indirect, which is what we're starting to see much more of, which is the social media, where it's all about what's happening out in cyberspace. And so this for me is, is a different form. And I think in many ways it's a more malignant form. That's my impression. Mm -hmm. So Sandra, Marion, comments. Yes, I think that um, in particular in the school setting, that quite often the more subtle forms of bullying, such as the social exclusion, maybe the looks that people get constantly, in particular, but not exclusively, uh, in girls, the setting of girls, but, yeah. but not just girls. I don't want to just say that girls are a problem. No, no. But it's, very, it's quite common within the peer group of, yes. of adolescent um, girls. And I think what makes it worse is the whole social media factor that then comes in because that just um, expands the problem mm. and allows sort of gossip mongering and, uh, um, you know, spreading false rumors, and which is something that bullies uh, we see nowadays taking right. place. And I think quite often this form of, of bullying, which is much more subtle, much more um, – covert that yes. schools struggle with mm. and that teachers are also not um, trained to recognize it in many instances and to be able to actually handle it and to have a proactive way of, of managing the situation between both the victim mm. and the bully as well. So it's, it's a big problem. So I think one of the issues before Marion jumps in is that a lot of that kind of bullying takes place out of the school environment. And so the question is, what is the jurisdiction? Of the teacher. It might involve two scholars, pupils, learners, however one wants to label kids at school these days, but it's taking place outside of the school. It's not taking place in the playground, for example, or in the classroom where one can actually intervene directly. This is, this is something that's happening in the social sphere. Marion? Well, I was lucky enough to be able to um, speak to two Top educationalist, and I mm. must say um, Westford High School in Cape Town was the only school that actually came back to me. I emailed nearly all of Johannesburg's top high schools, the schools my children had gone to, private schools and so on. Yes. Westford came back to me the same day, so hats off to Westford. And they also allowed me in with a group um, of about, I think about 20 kids from grade uh, 10, 11, 12, 
girls, boys, transgender. It was absolutely fantastic because obviously the bullying issues there. Mm. And what came out in all my work, speaking to individuals as well, you've raised such an interesting point, um, Chris, because where does the responsibility lay? Is mm. it the school, the teacher, the parent? Yes. And nobody seems to know at the moment. There's a flux situation where the schools are saying, yes, but we will do X, and the parents are saying, but this is, you know, even if it's out of school, think mm. about it, though. It's within those pupils. Yes. You know, it's those kids. And they can be massively cruel, but it can be, you mentioned the word subtle. I think what's interesting, to give you a typical example where social media comes in, there's a party on a Saturday night and they're posting about it, especially girls. Mm -hmm. They're posting about showing pictures of what they did at this party and one girl or two girls aren't invited, didn't even know about the party. Obviously, they were excluded. Mm -hmm. That's bullying in another form and that's social media. The other thing that horrified me, and this goes to 11 and 12-year-olds, is that girls going out with a boy at 11 and 12, they have a boyfriend, they send the boyfriend nude photos, completely nude. Hmm. They then, surprise, surprise, break up this relationship. But the boy then, you know, goes online with those photos. That is horrendous. And that can impact that girl's life forever and ever and ever. I mean, it's… Absolutely. It's massive. And that is, was really scary for me. It's remarkable, the cruelty, because I think that's the other part of your book's title, The Epidemic of Unkindness, mm. which I think is very important because I think that we seem not to be living in a particularly kind world at this point. So when you spoke about the, the epidemic of unkindness, uh, I, don't, I, I think it really captures something about this phenomenon of of bullying. Would you care to elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, as I said, the book isn't just about school kids. We went into emotional bullying, and that's also horrific because, you know, a couple is married, and when you get married, you think it's going to be forever and things go wrong. And what was fascinating for me, because I interviewed a couple of people I actually know, Mm. I had no idea that there was anything wrong in their marriages because on the surface it looks all peachy. Mm. And, again, that kind of bullying within a relationship, and I'm not just saying it's men on women. I mean, it can be reversed, oh, but it's absolutely. mostly – but it is mostly um, male bullying. And often the women woman is in a situation where not that they don't want to get out of this relationship, but they have children and it's so hard. So they have to endure years and years mm. of this bullying. And, again, some of it can be – really well it's soul destroying is the only word and then in the workplace workplace bullying is very interesting because you can have a situation like this someone's working on a project they've worked really hard on this project they get called to a meeting but by the time they've walked into that meeting the bosses and other people have already made decisions on what they had come up with in other words you know negating them from the whole thing you didn't have any you know impact here the person comes into the meeting and everything's been decided and they are feeling, I mean, obviously, that's that's bullying. They're feeling totally deflated. I had many instances yeah. of that and their bosses putting them down in the workplace, doing subtle things that made going into that workplace every day incredibly uncomfortable. It just strikes me that the phenomenon is very pervasive and it speaks to what I started out by saying 
I'm kind of concerned because there's a lot of behavior which we wouldn't necessarily categorize as bullying. We would just say, well, these people are disrespectful. But there again, respect is an element of of bullying or disrespect for the other person. So we would say they're disrespectful, um, they're insensitive. So all of these kind of descriptors to look at the behavior or, or what has taken place. But you're saying, well, potentially this all, or maybe not potentially, you're saying, well, this does actually fall within the ambit of bullying, which kind of suggests to me that anything that might be negatively experienced could potentially be as a consequence of bullying. Because I'm just saying one maybe needs to be a little bit careful in that sense. Yes, but if it's continual, yes. I hear what you're saying, mm. and I think if it's a one-off, that's one thing. Right. But I think when it's a continual onslaught of the right. same kind mm. of thing. For instance, one young woman who I've known for a while, she's a journalist in Cape Town, and she's a young coloured woman, and, you know, she was thrilled to get her first job at a major magazine. Right. And funny enough, I'd worked for the same editor as a freelancer in that magazine, and I never had a problem. She went to work there, and she was so excited, and very quickly she realised that her job, she'd been employed as a junior writer but she was just um, empty the rubbish bin type of writer, you yes. know, and and it wasn't just oh well I'm working w- working my way up through this job. It was very clear that this woman was saying, well, when I think you're ready, you know, I'll give you a real piece to do. She was mm. given small little pieces to do, but it wasn't even done in a way that was well. Don't worry, you know, you're doing this, and we're going to give you more. It never happened. Right. She was denigrated at every turn, so. That's definitely bullying. Well, I think that coming back to some of the elements that I mentioned earlier, so you, the issue of repeated, and I think the issue of intent. So I think these are very important components, never mind the power differential, because even in the situation you've just described now, there is a power differential. There's somebody who's the boss, there's somebody who's the underling. And so one would have anticipated that in that kind of situation, there would have been a more developmental approach. We're employed as a junior. We start you off with these things. And so we work you slowly towards more complex and and, and more detailed pieces, et cetera, et cetera. And we provide you with constructive criticism along the way. So I think that uh, the elements need to be there. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's got to be repeated. You know, this is a Mm. constant hammering of an individual by another individual or a group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the idea of bullying as a one-on-one, yes, obviously, but there's also the pack mentality, actually, where everybody kind of jumps in and one person gets nailed. And I think maybe you see that with the social media situation and specifically with the exclusion. Yes. And I think also there's a big problem where, especially in the group settings, and uh, in particular in the school settings, is that if you don't agree with what the majority consensus is, yes. then we're going to cancel you. So yes. what's termed cancel culture. Right. So cancel culture is, you know, is a huge problem. It's doing its rounds yeah. in private schools, and I'm sure in government schools for that matter. Yes. Um, but it's something that's very pervasive and really causes um, severe consequences for the child on, or the child or maybe children on yes. the receiving end of that kind of pack mentality. Yeah. Um, and that mentality can have various forms, you know, where they agree on certain things, etc. cetera, uh, can be the, the ringleader that's got uh, sort of controls. Well, there's always the in-group. There's always the in-group, yes. 
But if you don't agree with what the common idea is, or if you don't conform to what they expect you to conform, then we're going to cancel you. And by cancelling you means that we completely exclude you. We make up gossip, we spread false rumors, we socially exclude you. During break time, we make faces, we walk away from you, and even in classrooms. So I know Marion, for example, said that um, quite often the cyberbullying takes place outside of the school setting, but it's even taking place in the classroom. Oh, of course, because everybody's as, on their cell phones. The, yes, exactly. So as they're sitting there, they're actually posting things while the teacher is teaching and many times even posting things about the teacher. Right. So, so the teacher's getting bullied. Sometimes the teacher can be on the receiving end too. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, although we tend to think that perhaps the adult, the teacher, might be the one that's that could potentially be the bullying in a specific setting within the classroom, but I think that's something that we're seeing that that's not true. It can definitely yes. be different. It can be vice versa. Uh, and the, it is very problematic. All the more reason why a cell phone should maybe not be in the classroom. Mm. But you see, that's sure. the danger. So if, even if it's not in the classroom, <clears throat> those kids at break time, yes. let's say, and they will find a way of filming what goes on. If you remember right. a few years back, there was a fight at a school between two girls in Soweto. This yes. one girl was picked on massively and she was beaten up and she ended up, she went home and she took her own life. Awful. And again, mm-hmm. there's so much they can, by the way, yes, they can film teachers. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a And thing. they do. Um, yes, and anyone. So that's another element <laughs> to the whole school issue. Well, should cell phones be allowed into the school? Well, this is a massive debate. But I, I must come in here, and I think it depends on the school as well, it, not so much whether phones should be allowed. Yeah. Is, and I'm thinking, for instance, of, again, Westford with this transgender issue, mm. for instance, that they had – gone to their scholars and said, listen, you know, this is what it is. They've got, they had expert people come in and spend not just that about, you know, being gay, what being gay means mm. and so on. And trying to gain acceptance, you know, from these kids that they understand what it is and not to mock it. And again, bringing kindness into the school. Mm. And there are some groups, you know, professional people in this country that also facilitate these type of talks. And I think that's very important that those groups that form, they need smashing down. Mm. And I think the only way to do it actually is educating. Mm. And mm. I think it is, I think we've come a long way, um, in that, especially within, you know, issues around gender. Mm. But of course, there's still a massive, way to go but schools that embrace it and allow a child for instance to come in the clothes that they feel comfortable in and call themselves what they like that's that's huge yeah and that was of course that's always going to be an issue we haven't mentioned the word gay but gay bashing i mean whether you're at school at in within a relationship or at home and what i found interesting was one of the kids it was actually a black kid uh, that spoke to me and he said you know, he's found when he's been racially abused and bullied that he said, you know, I looked at it and I thought to myself, I looked at this boy and he said, I pictured what his home life was like and what his parents had put in his head. And I realized that he's talking, but the words coming out of his mouth are from his parents, not from him. Well, I do think that uh, when we start to maybe discuss what prompts bullying and where it emanates from, I think we will 
go back to the family and we'll go back to the home situation to, to maybe look at that. But something you said earlier, Sandra, about being different. I think that one of the important issues that we seem to want to inculcate in our children is to be authentic, mm. to be yourself. And yet if you are authentic and you happen to be different, that then becomes a criterion for exclusion, which is actually problematic. So I think that this whole idea of authenticity as being a path towards improved functioning and self-esteem is maybe in conflict with this idea that, oh, well, you're different. Mm -hmm. And because you're different, you sit on the outside and you might be subject to victimization in, mm -hmm. in some way. So again, it's about how we strike that balance mm -hmm. and about how we empower individuals to be their authentic selves. And I think it's got a lot to do with self-esteem and I think it's got a lot to do with family, the culture of the family, the ethos of the family, the value systems, and where that child emerges from, both in terms of how they deal with this kind of situation and to what extent they might be perpetrators. So I think that these are things that obviously one needs to look at. And sometimes striking that balance is exactly what's important because it can also go the other extreme where you're trying to present a particular authentic aspect could be of yourself or maybe an ideology or something in particular and then it's taken activism to an extreme form yes where then you start targeting people for not for not complying yes. to what you think yes your authentic self should be or perhaps your authentic idea or belief that, system etc so it's and about striking and every, that balance. Yes, and everybody needs to just comply exactly. with acceptance. Yes. And I think that's really the issue is how to strike that balance yeah. between, you know, being your authentic self but not imposing it necessarily right. on other people. And I think that's where some of the issues that we've been raising have kind of moved yeah. in the wrong direction. And you always get pushback and we don't get a rational discussion in the center to say, okay, yeah. Here's an issue, how we're going to resolve it. But it's about respecting other people's ideas. Yes, respect so is very important. So you might not like what I believe in, but I have a right to be able to express them, provided, of course, there's respect on my end towards you. Correct. And that there's nothing overtly offensive and all those right. issues taken into consideration. But it's that respect. And I think what's difficult in particular in the school setting is that schools are struggling to manage a lot of these issues. Um, because it, it, so it was quite interesting that Marion said that all the schools did not respond to her. <laughs> yes, and only, issues, and only, no, 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 but they, they would have huge issues. You'd have to I, engage. I can say with colleagues that yes. I've, you know, heard information, et cetera, that the schools are having a terrible mm. time in managing, um, these cancel culture issues, uh, issues around gender, issues around race in particular, going both ways. Yes. And so the schools are really, some of them not wanting to take any form of responsibility. And I think the ones that have the least problems are exactly what you said, the schools that are being proactive and actually are educating or making learners feel included in the process of trying to understand different viewpoints and ideas and what these different issues are. And those that are too scared to deal with it are the ones that are then really being hit quite hard with, with some of these issues. But I think the word you used is very important, understand. Because I think that everybody must be entitled to their view, which has to be brought to the table, whether you find it offensive or not. It's not a question of lecturing. You will, you must, it is. 
And I think that's where sometimes you get the mm-hmm. kind of pushback where it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a laid down doctrine as opposed to listen, here's a situation. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, I don't like that. That's okay. That's not okay. But we work towards some kind of principled yeah. consensus of, okay, how do we accommodate as best we can because there's no perfection. You know, when you've got a mm-hmm. hundred different points of view, you can't accommodate all of them. Mm-hmm. Somewhere and along the adolescent line. Adolescent brain. Yes. Problematic. Well. So we can come to that we'll later, <laughs> but, but. We yes, can, so yes, because a, you wanted to speak a little bit yeah. about the neurobiology of, of, of bullying. But the one thing I wanted to say about the cyberbullying, it's 24 hours. You know, before it was mm-hmm. just like, you get to school, that's when it hits the fan. But outside of that, you've got a safe space. Now, you switch on your phone, it's waiting for you. Absolutely. It's in, in what prompted me to do this book came out of my previous book, Surfacing. Yes. So that was 11 different stories from 11 different people, right. from bipolar to ordinary depression, severe depression, etc. And that's what prompted me to do this book because so many of them had these instances, especially at school. And you know what? So many of them said exactly the same thing. And what you've just said, Chris, is that at least before in our days, before yeah. social media – we could go home and right. close the door and it was mm-hmm. and school holidays were wonderful because but today of course that doesn't exist. Something else I just want to touch on that you, you touched on is with a bully, you asked me at the beginning, what is a bully? And what I found as well was that that bully, whether the parent had said, and we all know this story, come on, especially with boys, you know, stand up for yourself. If he hits you hit him back. Hit him back. Right. You know, and that again. So the, and again what came out of it was that Bullies very often came from backgrounds where they had been bullied themselves. They come from that bully culture. And to them, there's nothing wrong with it. That's normal. So you just said about getting all the different opinions. And if you got these kids together, even if someone came along and said, you know, let me explain to you that what you did was wrong and there's Mm. another way of going about it. Are we that kid that's that real bully has been indoctrinated this all their life? Yes. And that culturally, you know, our culture is the one, yes. and every other culture is wrong, or, yes. or racism, and that kind of thing. Are you really how, – how do you really change their mindset? Well, you see, I think that it comes back to something I'd said earlier. I think we're going to take it ultimately back into the family. That's where we're going to go because we're looking for the origins ultimately because if we're going to unpick the lock and find the key – that's where I think the answer potentially lies, aside from all the other things that we'll do procedurally and in terms of policy, and, and maybe we'll discuss some of those things. But I wanted to look at the extent of bullying. I mean, I came across some data very recently. This is a 2018 paper looking at grade nines across the country. It was a national survey, and they were talking about something of the order of 17% of grade nine scholars, learners, pupils, had been exposed to some form of bullying on a weekly basis. That's in a national survey. So that's nearly one-fifth of grade niner, so that second year into into high school, which I you know I, I find a high figure. But then I started looking at some of the other data that um, was around, and you see very uh, a large variations between the rural areas and the urban areas. It seems lower prevalence in the rural areas, higher prevalence in the metropolitan urban areas, and figures as high as 61% in Chwani, 36% in Durban, and then you go into rural Eastern Cape and in Pumbalanga looking at 16 and 12% respectively. So there seems to be a differential. So it's very difficult to get a handle on the precise prevalence of what is going on because I think it's got a lot to do with how do people understand bullying, how are the questions asked? Mm-hmm. What kind of, 
you know, methodology is used in the survey. But I think obviously it's a phenomenon and it has to be managed as we find it, irrespective of the different prevalence figures. I think it's a, it's a reality. This issue of males and females, again, this particular study, South African study, was saying that actually boys are more bullied than girls and that uh, boys obviously are more bullied in the direct form. So that's direct, verbal, or physical, and the girls more indirect, Correct. the social media. 100%. So what yeah. – I mean, Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, for girls to fight, physically fight, is unusual. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas boys will – obviously it's just part of their genetic makeup, I guess. Yes. Um, girls can be I, – I went to an all-girl high school. I mean girls can be absolutely vicious. Absolutely. Um, there's no question. I'm agreeing with you. I'm not saying from personal experience. (laughs) And, um, in the workplace also, you know, um, I think if you did a poll, you'd probably find more women would rather work for men than women. That's interesting because I've, I've, I've heard that and I've heard women complain about female dominated environments and, you know, maybe that is not politically correct. But that is certainly my understanding in terms of what's been shared. Well, maybe women, look, they've got to prove themselves in the workplace. You know, it's yeah. not mm. easy in South Africa. So maybe they have that so much tougher stance. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I'm just speculating. In terms of just statistics, I started off from that point. Yes. And getting, as you know, getting local South African statistics is always very mm. difficult in yeah. anything. But what was interesting, American statistics of bullying in schools, yes. that was horrendous. Really? They have a whole different uh, – I mean, bullying there, as you know, it can end up with somebody coming in the school and shooting, shooting everybody. everyone. Yeah. But their statistics are far higher than here. There's mm, a yes. massive So what do you – I mean, issue. what do you think it is about their culture? I mean, is that the breakdown? I don't know. Is of, it that they can go to school in their own clothes with yes. makeup and it's a very social well, thing? I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know if we're so different anymore because what? if you – if you remember all the media accounts, especially over the last few years, the amount of violence that's taking mm. place in South Africa. No, schools. but I don't think you can compare it. Even no, in no, England, sure. um, the schools, you have to go through metal detectors. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes, we're definitely. not quite at that level. But I hope we never do. So I think from that perspective, but look, mm. it's, it, I think it, it, the world of social media is at the center today yeah. of bullying. Well, one of the things about the schools that I've been reading is 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 that and I, and I think it makes sense intuitively if you feel more connected to your school as opposed to alienated there is lesser chance of bullying taking place and i think the wearing of school uniforms gives a certain uniformity using that word but a certain esprit de corps a sense of belonging a sense of identity and so apparently in those kind of situations where the the kids feel a sense of connection and pride. To, and pride in the school, you're probably less likely to get bullying. It's where there is less of a sense of that and more of a sense of alienation that maybe one gets bullying. Mm, that's th- a good point. And I think the issue with school uniform also, I mean, if, if, if you don't wear the same clothes, you really do highlight the differences mm. between a lot of the kids in terms of socioeconomic status and fashion precisely, sense, call precisely. it what you will, which kind of opens you up. So maybe the American system is maybe more inclined towards mm. that kind of peer. Cause, I mean, let's face it, adolescents compare. People compare in general. And I mean, comparison is a real issue, actually, once you start comparing. And so maybe that might explain some of it, although I've not seen any research or, or specific mm. data in that sense. But I think one of the issues for me is, is, is how the victim potentially becomes a perpetrator. 
I mean, has that been your experience in terms of your writings, Marion, where you've seen kids or people move from being a victim to being a perpetrator? Occasionally in the teen scenario, um, but not it wasn't common. I wouldn't say that's the norm. Right. But, yes, it can definitely happen because they feel this has happened to me mm. and I'm going to do the same to someone else because simply because I can. Right. Um, but it isn't the norm. And, again, this is where I think a culture in a school yes. comes in. Absolutely. And I think you're so right about a pride in their school. That definitely makes a difference. And I think, you know, from my own experience as a mother of, of now my children are grown up, um, but going through the school system, I think the head of a school really sets that standard and is massively impactful on the direction that school takes. Oh, I've, I think there's no question. I mean, that kind of leadership is, is, is critical. And it's got to be strong, but it's got to be reasonable at the end of the day. And it's got to be consistent. And I think that these are, are, are qualities that one needs mm -hmm. to look for in terms of that kind of leadership. And um, there's no question, as they say, you know, things rot from the head. So, or the fish rots from the head. So, you know, I think that's exactly right. There was something about socioeconomic status. And again, this South African study was, was saying that um, fee-paying schools are less likely to have bullying than non-fee-paying schools. And I, I wasn't so sure about that because mm, I, uh, I, I, I'd understood it to be quite the opposite, actually. So, I mean, Marion and Sandra, what, what's your sense of that? Because I, I read that and I thought, mm, I'm not so sure. I don't know what sample you were looking at, although it was a nationally representative sample of over 5,000 kids. So one would assume they've got some kind of statistical uh, uh, um, significance there. But in terms of my personal experience, I, I don't know. Difficult for me to say because I think that in the private schools, bullying is 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 not rare. No, and I think it maybe it depends on the definition. What do you mean by fee-paying schools? Because right. it might depend what the fees are. Okay. So I'm not I'm not so sure. I haven't yes. seen that study, yes. but I wouldn't be I wouldn't agree with it. Um, I think bullying happens across the board. Yes, whether it's a fee-paying school yeah. or a non-fee-paying school. I think we've seen that. That's yeah. It's prevalent um, and definitely in, in the more very private, uh, very high-fee schools and very affluent schools, bullying is a definite problem, especially with the cyberbullying uh, and especially amongst girls. Not well, how many of the schools, Marion, that you contacted were private versus government? Uh, about a third were private that didn't get back to me, right. including my own kids' schools, which were yes. very – Affluent schools. Yeah. I can't say that I asked my own kids that they really encountered bullying at their schools. Um, but, of course, everyone knows there is bullying. Yeah. Whether it's less or more at non-private, uh, but they're all fee-paying at some mm, point at schools. Yeah. You know, that's really hard. I wouldn't like to… Yeah, I think it's difficult to make a blanket statement and say, well, yeah. it's definitely a, a mm. difference. I, I think we have to accept that bullying is pervasive. It occurs mm. across… Socioeconomic I definitely status. feel it's the mm -hmm. school and how that particular Managers. school, yes. whether it's tiny school, big school, whatever, how yeah. they um, – I went to a very small private school in England and when I think back, there were our fifth and sixth formers at high school, yeah. the top years there. They were, We had a lot of bullying, but – and the school just – and it was a very small school, but they totally turned a blind eye. Well, of course, I, that was many years ago. And, you know, mm. other schools get very involved. And I think nothing's changed there. I think the schools, I think they've worried about their reputation. That's why they don't mm. contact me. And it isn't just for this 
particular story on bullying. Over the years, I've done stories about drugs in primary schools yeah. and so on. And I always know the ones that don't even answer my emails. They got well, the that problem. tells you everything. Yeah. And I know that I've contacted schools where I know they've had problems mm-hmm. and they won't get back to me. And I think with bullying, they didn't contact me because they don't want their name associated in case, you know, someone said, well, that school has bullying, yes. their reputation. Yes, know. no, I think reputational but, damage is, yeah, is, I mean, is significant. It, it definitely is. But I think I was just thinking about something you said now in terms of fifth formers and sixth formers. I mean, there was a very hierarchical system. You know, I can remember at high school, I went to high school in Durban for one year, year and a bit, and the standard sixes, which would be the grade eights at a boys-only school, we wore shorts and a cap. So you could identify exactly who we were as the uh, newbies, and it was the biggest thing to get a long pants in standard seven. So, you know, there was a very hierarchical system Mm -hmm. in, in, in that sense. I don't know how much, to be honest with you, I don't recall that there was any bullying, mm. to be honest uh, with you. I, I think everybody kind of looked at the standard sixes in their short pants and smiled and laughed, but they knew. Mm. They'd all been there, and they knew that when you took that next step to standard seven and you got the longs, so to speak, you were going to be just fine. Look, I think I know my son's um, ex-high school, they have done quite a lot over the – they didn't come back to me, but nevertheless, I do know they've done certain things. I know my daughter's school, even when she was there – when they were in matric, they were given the responsibility of looking after a newbie, right. a new kid coming in, and each girl got a little one to mentor and be mm. there for. And I think that's a very good thing, and that works. Yes, I think that's actually very to helpful. To a degree. Mm. I want to change tangents, go for a slightly different tangent, the issue of sibling bullying, ah. because I read a very interesting piece on sibling bullying, and, and I think it is a very real phenomenon, and – American data would say that kids more often report negative experiences from siblings and from their parents, actually. And parents tend to overlook that and dismiss it simply as sibling rivalry. So I'm not sure in your research into the book whether you came across sibling bullying. Yes, I did. Um, one young guy, I felt very sorry for him. He's had a quite a messed up life, but that was a big part of it was – and funny, it wasn't his brother, it was his sister and father oh, okay. ganging up sort of against right. him. But it had, you know, it was very serious. It's had massive implications in his life. And his self-esteem, you know, they were always putting him down. And whatever he did was never good enough for the father. And the sister was just as bad. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen it myself with other friends as well, with their, especially when it's girls with their sisters. Right. You often find that. I, I've seen it myself with my own friends. And lasting consequences. Yes, you definitely. Know, no different to bullying in any other context. Because mm. I think bullying per se, irrespective of the setting, ultimately has the same kind of impact. So the question is, how do we deal with it? But more specifically, how do we understand the motivation to be a bully? You know, what is the kind of uh, underlying psychology are we dealing with people who are fundamentally lacking in self-esteem and need to boost themselves through lauding it over somebody who is potentially weaker or less than in their eyes? You know, is it a former uh, uh, victim who then becomes a perpetrator? Is there that? Or are we dealing with patterns of family behavior which kind of promote that? And that was one of the things that that, that, that came through in the piece that I was reading on, on sibling Bullying is that families with more conflict and more harsh parenting. And when I say harsh, I'm not just talking about strict. I'm talking about harsh parenting seem to promote that kind of 
ethos or that kind of, 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 of behavior. So what are your thoughts in, in, in terms of where does it come from? What's it all about? So I think it's multifaceted. I don't think there is one answer. I think certainly the psychology behind bullying is very much dependent on the learned behaviors um, that you take on from your family, especially if they've been in particular quite negative. And at the same time, then being exposed to those incidents puts you at risk uh, in your neurobiology. Yes. Changes. Okay, so you wanted to speak about the neurobiology of bullying, I know. And, and, and are you saying that the experience of being bullied impacts? It certainly does. Right. So it seems, you know, there are some studies, and yep. although they're not 100% conclusive, right. and some of those studies can be a little bit problematic in how you look at them, and they've got certain limitations. However, um, there's quite a lot of work that's been done, in particular in the UK at King's College, where right. they've, they've looked at some of these issues. Um, they've looked at kids that have been bullied um, and looked at kids that also have been the perpetrators mm-hmm. of bullying. And they've noted that particular areas of the brain right. actually are enhanced or show heightened activity when they are either exposed to the bullying right. or when they do the bullying. Right. Different areas different for areas. exposed and well, perpetrate? Some, yes, right. and sometimes there's a bit of an overlap. Right. Uh, in some of them, it's that the one similar area is much more active and heightened in, in somebody that's actually doing the bullying right. as opposed to the one that's being bullied where that particular area might be more dampened. Okay. And so these neurobiological changes seem to cause changes, structural changes in the brain. Right. And that those changes can have quite lasting effects, especially because in particular the adolescent brain is under tremendous amount of stress during adolescence. Mm. You know, it's developing. And although there's plasticity, as we know, um, you know, the brain is um, sort of pruning, as we say. All these synapses are still forming and certain synapses are are being cut away. They are not required, et cetera. And so during this particular time in adolescence, it's a time of stress. It's a time where heightened cortisol levels are often, you know, they're often raised. Yes. And in particular, if you are someone that is being bullied, yes. they've shown that you have much more higher levels of cortisol right. and much higher levels of different types of inflammatory Cortisol markets. being the stress hormone, the stress hormone too hormone, much of which is not yes, a good thing. which is not good. Yes. So cortisol is good. In order for us to be able to adapt to stressful situations. Right. But too much. Yes. But after a stressful situation, you'd expect that that level comes down. Right. Back to normal. But if you are being exposed to chronic levels of stress, that cortisol remains quite high on a, almost a permanent basis. Right. And that puts you at risk for various different aspects such as illnesses in the long term because right. your immune system becomes impacted right. as a result of this heightened cortisol. Um, you also um, can are much more prone and at risk for developing other medical conditions like obesity right. and hypertension and various other medical complications. And mental health? And mental health, such as depression and anxiety, mm. definitely, because those inflammatory markers have been shown to be associated with depression forming of depression right. and anxiety and that different areas of the brain when they do things like MRI scans yes 
they have shown that there are certain areas in the brain that are impacted by children that have been bullied chronically. Yes. And that bullies also show certain changes. Um, so it's quite interesting. So going back, what what is the the start of it? Yes. It's difficult to know because yes. it almost seems like there's a there's maybe a familial or parental um, aspect that's missing. Yeah. But there's also a biology aspect to it. So what I'm understanding is that for whatever reason, certain behaviors impact biologically, which then lead to other consequences. Exactly, yes. And I think when one studies the biology of any particular condition, you have to be careful in not understanding that, oh, that's the cause. I think that what you're seeing is a consequence potentially of other things, and then you're seeing the perpetuation or you're seeing the consequence yes. of those biological changes. So I, I, I think that it's as well to bear in mind that bullying actually has a very specific potential impact. Neurobiologically, yes. which can then manifest down the line in other consequences. So the question ultimately, as we're coming to the end of our conversation, how do we respond? You know, I mean, is it with confrontation and assertiveness if somebody's pushing you around? Because I, I do understand that that does tend to happen with the bully, that if you stand up to the bully and you stand your ground and you are confident in your ability to do so, that often tends to have a dampening effect because there's no effect because I'm showing myself to be actually as powerful as you and I'm rising to that occasion. Do you avoid the situation? Do you just exit, which often happens? I remove my child from the school or I remove myself from that social circle. Um, or do we start looking at parenting and we get into family and family values? But then that also then speaks to society and societal values. And I think maybe this conversation is, is taking us to a reappraisal of why is there so much of this and what is going wrong with our society that we're seeing this, this epidemic of unkindness. And I think that's in the title of your book, but I think that's where I'm coming to in terms of my own thinking. Because we can put policies in place and we can have procedures and we can change the law and we can have uh, various school uh, what do they call it? There's a very specific um, – you, you and I discussed it earlier, Sandra, in terms of what the schools are putting in place. There's actually a, an educational policy that the schools have put in place. Well, there's there's, there's mm. a legislative framework. It's the National Safe Schools yeah. Framework. Yeah, it's, national, yeah, it's yes, the National yes. Safe Schools Framework. So yeah. sometimes the host has to fish around <laughs> for notes um, just to put it – yeah. So, I mean, you can put all these things in place. To what end? Because I think there's something much bigger than that. We're trying to, you know, look in specific situations. How can we manage it? But I think it goes beyond that. And I think it's to families and to society. So I, I know those are my thoughts. Mm. Sandra, Marion. I think from my side, I would say that first and foremost, it's very important to believe the person that's being bullied. Yes. To educate yourself around what's happening, especially as a parent. And I speak as a psychiatrist, as a parent as yes. well, having gone through a similar process of my children being bullied and having to take them out of school as a result of it and um, being able to understand how you can follow certain procedures, being able to be very clear in what you want to achieve, in being able to hold people accountable, mm. obviously with respect 
And I know you said, you know, do you confront, do you not confront? I don't think there's a, a right and wrong answer. Yeah. I think it's very much dependent on the situation. And um, it's also important to not be too confrontational because that then doesn't get you anywhere. So we'd have to have the kindness aspect to it. Yes. Uh, but from a particular school setting is to believe your child, you know, go to the school, approach them, making sure that you're very clear on what's happening, that yeah. you're documenting everything yeah. and that you hold people accountable. And, and first and foremost, making sure that your child is always safe. Yes. Because if safety is not being protected, yeah. if their integrity under the constitutional rights is, is not being protected, mm -hmm. then I think one has to, you know, do something much more drastic. But obviously restorative justice yes. is something that's very important sure. in these kinds of issues. Well, I suppose that's the National Safe Schools framework is where they're going yeah. with that. And I think you're also speaking to the parent-teacher relationship, Definitely. which is very yes. important. And parental involvement in the Definitely. lives of their kids, not just at home mm. but in the school, without wanting to take control but being connected. So, look, we're coming to the end of our time. Sandra and Marion. Marion, unless you've got a final word that you want no, to add. I just want to say one quick thing. Yes. You said about the title, An Epidemic of Unkindness. Whenever I write a book, it's for one reason. It's to start conversations. Yes. And that's what this is about. Well, I think so. And I don't know that we've covered every single aspect. We've only got so much time and there's so much more we could have drilled into. So I want to thank you for taking the time to share professionally and personally. And just a few closing comments. I, I normally close out with a with a quote, which I'm going to embed in my closing comments. So for me, bullying is a reality, and I suspect that to a greater or lesser extent, it will always exist. For me, the question is not so much how we eliminate it, as desirable as that would be, but how we contend with it. And that would seem to be quite nuanced and multifactorial based on our conversation. However, I came across content related to bullying in Gabor Mate's latest book. I've been reading his book, The Myth of Normal. And he makes an observation, and I'm going to quote, Today's children are subjected to more parental separation and more peer interaction than ever before. And I think that's a very important observation. And I think possibly one of the keys that unpicks the lock, I've used that analogy earlier, with regard to childhood and adolescent bullying is contained in that statement. The parent-child relationship, remembering children and adolescents do become adults and they take their experiences with them and so it goes. This has been Beyond Madness in proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave, inspiring communities one pharmacy at a time. Remember, there is no health without mental health, and until next time, take care.